0: Bad
1: and bo- Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Erica. And Amy, we are wishing, sending you get well wishes. Amy is sick right now. Um, and it's not because her colleague came into work sick. It's because she's been doing too much. Um, I went on a rant on Instagram and I guess on Twitter Really, this week. Not really a rant on Twitter. This was several days ago about people who come into work to the office sick. Yes. Um, because a colleague of mine did. He took he was sick all of last weekend, took Monday off, came into work on Tuesday. When people asked him how he was feeling, he said, Bleh. he's like better than yesterday, but not good. Then why are you here? Yes, I agree. And I was just particularly upset by it because I knew that I had a very, very, very busy week. I was going to be pushing my immune system and my body more than I needed to. um, And so I would have been more susceptible to illness. And uh, I did feel a little bit of a cold coming on Friday and Saturday, but uh, managed to save it off by getting a bunch of sleep. But uh, yeah. So I ranted about this. But then some people like did raise some like interesting issues. um, Particularly around like precarious work. And like what if you can't afford to take a day off. And. That's not the case in government. Yes, So this is a very particular. Actually. Safeguard.
0: Like. Let me rephrase. That's not the case in government for people who are indeterminate people. Or even term people. Or term.
1: Yes. Uh, And like it is a fair, it is a fair point. And like, you know, particularly if you are working a minimum wage shift job and like that more precarious type of work, um, I definitely agree with you. And that is an excellent point. But at the same time, like a lot of those, a lot of that shift work means you're also working with the public. And I think that that's a little inappropriate to be sick in in some sort of service job, to be handing people your germs
0: especially with food yeah food is where i'm like you know what i think i'll take
1: my order elsewhere yeah uh, but then also you know teachers some teachers you know if they're not on a permanent contract they don't get paid for the work that for when they don't go into work and i can see <laughs> i did laugh about this with a friend because She was like, well, you know, as a teacher, we don't get paid as a casual. And I said, well, you know, if you go into work sick as a teacher, you're getting all your germs from the kids anyway. (laughs) Totally. And daycare (laughs) workers.
0: Daycare (laughs) workers are the same. Um, It's all those nasty bugs from the kids.
1: Yeah. So like there is definitely like some unique circumstances, but I also think it's mindful for people to be aware of their coworkers because there are some people who may not be sick and you, a sick person goes into the office and spreads their illness to everyone else because these people may have suppressed immune systems because they're on some sort of drugs that suppress their immune system, like immunosuppressants and therefore makes them more susceptible to illness or people are pregnant and therefore can't take, um, drugs to make themselves feel better. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a whole array of like it's. I think it's just very selfish, and it of is. course there are unique circumstances to every situation, but it's selfish and arrogant as fuck. Yeah. Because
0: then people are like, "Well, then I'm away," and and I'm like, "You're not that important."
1: Well, that's exactly it. It's like this guy was a casual, and like I get that he would have not been paid for not being in the office, but at the same time, he's his his work right now, as far as I know isn't critical. Whose work is that
0: critical? Like, let's be honest. Sure.
1: Absolutely. Let's
0: be honest. Nobody's work is that critical. Like, you're not that important. I'm sorry to say. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. But nobody gives a shit.
1: But also, like, especially if you have the option to work from home, take it. This is what I couldn't understand. I'm just like,
0: but you can work from home and not take a sick sick day. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the problem? Why are you
1: here? Especially since his argument was like, Well, I'm not sick enough to stay home because I I don't f I feel like I'm too well to like do nothing.
0: Okay. So in other words, okay, so when you know when you take prescription medication, they always tell you to finish the prescription. because it doesn't matter yep. how well you feel, the drug, the, the germs or the virus bacteria. M- or the bi- bacteria may come back. It's the same thing. It's not about how you feel. It's about, number one, that there are other people around you and you may want to take a minute to think about their well-being. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure when you come in, you're infecting other people who can't afford to take a day off mm-hmm. either. And second of all, I'm like, if your ego is that big that you think <coughs> that people are going to miss you and your great cerebral ability, I would say think again.
1: Yeah. Another someone was telling me a story about how uh, they knew someone who went into the office with pink eye and got and gave their boss pink eye. Fuck that motherfucker. Right. Awful. That is just the most selfish shit I've yeah. ever heard. Pink eye is highly contagious. Like there is a period where I got pink eye. I think about it very, very often. Yeah. Yeah. I got pink eye very often because I was playing softball and in order to play softball, I have to wear my contacts. So like the virus would just get stuck to my eye and then I have to keep putting my contacts back in. It was just like, ugh, brutal. I don't know. I don't
0: know how you did. You did you just wear glasses or what?
1: No, I had to play in my discussing virus contacts. <laughs> <laughs> the super bug. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ugh, it's brutal. So, um, I'm in an office with Gen Z. Yeah,
1: I don't know what that means.
0: Gen Z. It's like after Gen Y. Oh, oh, yeah. I thought you were talking about a person. <laughs> oh, 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 no, Generation Z. <laughs> guys okay. like, so we have a student working with us uh, and uh, lovely. And she is like, she's like reopening me to Snapchat. It. I know. I just see. past. I, I know. It's not for us.
1: It's for them. I work with a gen debtor too. And she's always like, oh, I'm just going to snap this. I was like, just put it on Instagram.
0: <laughs> no, because apparently they have this thing called snapped streaks.
1: Yes, I know. I had yeah. a snap streak and like. I don't care. I I didn't that's care because, that much.
0: That's because you're not 16, my friend.
1: I mean, well, neither I, I, is mine. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> they're <laughs> I'm like, like 21.
0: I'm like, I'm like, yeah, she's like 20. <laughs> but she was telling me about her younger sister mm. and the snap streaks. And I'm like, oh, oh, this is like a thing you all do. So you just take random mm-hmm. stupid photos and like just that mean nothing, by the way. Okay
1: oh yeah it's a picture of the floor
0: yeah i would be pissed off me too what what a waste of my time exactly which is why i'm not on snapchat (laughs) but it's nice to have gen z and get that perspective though still yeah these kitties yeah
1: have you heard of uh tiktok tiktok is basically what their people are calling the new vine it's really interesting
0: i only know like tiktok by bloomberg
1: no so it's like it's like the Kesha song TikTok. That's how it's spelled. Um, anyway, we will include a link to an interesting story about it in our upcoming newsletter. We will, yeah, because I found a great story on it. Oh,
0: <laughs> now I gotta now I gotta search through Slack.
1: Uh, I haven't put it there
0: yet. Oh. <laughs> see, you're fucking with me. <laughs> see, you see, you see how she does this, y'all.
1: Okay. It, no, well, that wasn't on purpose. It was because I. But you read just these got things, an idea. <laughs> I, no, no. I read these things at work and I bookmark them and like put them in an, a draft email from my work email to send to my personal email. Oh, really? And I just didn't do what that. What is your process?
0: So like if you find stuff, because I have a Feedly. I don't. Okay, so like my Feedly is like three thousand whatever, so I'm trying to <laughs> work through it.
1: My process is a bunch of aggregate newsletters and faves on or likes on uh, Twitter. That's it.
0: I gave up on my Twitter likes. Oh, I no. just gave up. They're like five thousand. I'm like I can't do that. But but um, sorry, what did you say before? Like you Twitter? Oh, email email from work
1: really yeah oh newsletters yeah oh i forget i subscribe to like many newsletters i get about six to eight a day wow that's impressive i don't click on through all the links but like it gives me like a nice like summary of the news no no
0: it's good it's good and uh I think that newsletters are, if they can, cons- they're constructed right, they can be more powerful than um, just regular like websites or whatever mm-hmm. in terms of serving people content that they want to see from
1: sometimes multiple from different multiple sources. sources.
0: Yeah, so it's it's basically like somebody else curating, putting it in a narrative context. And then like shipping it out. I think yep. newsletters are slept on, to yep. be honest. yep.
1: And that's what our newsletter is. It has a bunch of different links that we don't post on anywhere, any other platform except in the newsletter. Yeah. Um, and then we kind of. Because w- we're content whores. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we will pull like multiple articles on the same thing or link things and link them together yeah. and share them with you. Yeah. So, uh, Uh, where can people find our newsletter or sign up,
0: sign up for our newsletter?
1: We will, uh, tweet out the link and post it on our Facebook. Um, and you can find it there. Awesome. So, uh, let's get into it. So this week in feminism, we're going to talk about, uh, in Canadian politics, we're going to talk about Jody Wilson-Raybould and, um, power imbalances in the workplace, So last week, former Attorney General and former Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould, a liberal member of parliament, testified in front of the Justice Committee on the SNC-Lavalin affair. In the nearly four-hour long hearing, Wilson-Raybould said that she experienced, quote, sustained and consistent pressure from the prime minister, officials in his office, and the clerk of the Privy Council to change her mind on the situation. So quick background for those who don't know. Uh, And for a more in-depth summary, check out uh, CBC's Front Burner podcast on the issue. So SNC-Lavalin is a Quebec-based engineering company, and they were facing charges of fraud and corruption in connection with nearly $48 million in payments made to the Libyan government um, between 2001 and 2011. If convicted, the company could be blocked from competing for federal government contracts for a decade, which would likely result in the company moving its headquarters from Quebec and significant job losses in the province. SNC hoped that through a Deferred Prosecution Agreement, or a DPA, they would be spared a trial and possible criminal conviction. Jody Wilson-Raybould, who was the Attorney General at the time, uh, decided against the DPA, which would then lead to a trial. And so... Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was unhappy with this decision, which, as Jody Wilson-Raybould said in her testimony, led to sustained and consistent pressure to get her to change her mind. Her unwillingness to change her mind very likely led to her being shuffled out of the position in early January and demoted, as we discussed in a previous episode. So both the Prime Minister and the Clerk of the Privy Council have said publicly that they don't feel as though that they were putting any undue pressure on Jody Wilson-Raybould, and that their view of their action, they view their actions as appropriate. And I'm sure uh, staff in the prime minister's office would very likely say the same thing. Uh, Wilson-Raybould came to the committee hearing with the receipts. And so far, no one seems to be disputing her timeline in facts. Uh, where the questions seem to rise surround the perception of pressure and, of course, Two parties on different sides of an issue will almost always view that perception that that issue differently. However, uh, one gap that we've noticed in the media coverage has been uh, the work aspect of the situation. So, Erica, I'm just going to detail a few situations here for you, and I want you to tell me who has the power in the interaction, like a game. Yes. Yes. All right. So first, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau discussing the situation with Jody Wilson-Raybould and telling her his preferred course of action. Uh, him. Second, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, wearing his hat as the Minister of Parliament from Papineau in Quebec, not the Prime Minister's hat, telling Jody Wilson-Raybould that without the, the deferred prosecution agreement, Quebec will lose a lot of jobs right before a provincial election. Um, who has the power? Yeah.
0: Well, he's not a backbencher, so him.
1: <laughs> like Three, the clerk of the Privy Council saying something along the lines of, quote, I just want to let you know that the prime minister is feeling a certain kind of way about this and he really wants what he wants and he'll find a way to get it one way or another. The PM. In that
0: specific interaction. Oh, well, I feel like, okay, so... Here's the thing. I feel like the PM still has power, even though he's absent.
1: Sure, but it would be the
0: but it's like in that specific space. So that's like global power. If yeah. You- so for local power, Mikey,
1: the clerk. Um, oh, sorry,
0: the clerk. <laughs>
1: um, for uh, the prime minister's now former principal secretary Jerry Butts and. Jerry, current current (laughs) chief of staff, Katie Telford, Katie, talking to the former attorney general's chief of staff. Oh, that's not even a question. The two of them have power. Who said that the situation is getting worse and that the attorney general doesn't seem to be finding any sort of solution to the problem. They do. And again, through the prime minister, because these people only
0: have power because Of the Prime Minister. So the Prime Minister is really the ultimate answer for all of them. But in specific situations, in that specific time frame, it was Katie and it was, what's Jerry? So, I mean, basically, in none of these situations, did
1: the Attorney General of Canada have power? Okay. So, yeah, so this is kind of my reading of the situation, and this is why I think there is a big disparity in the perception of the situation because, you know, whether or not the prime minister acting as prime minister or member of parliament or the clerk or Jerry or Katie speaking on behalf of the prime minister believe that they weren't providing or making veiled threats or um, creating sustained or consistent pressure on the attorney general, former attorney general, doesn't mean that she didn't view it that way. And I think that is really the crux of the issue because it becomes a power discussion at that point.
0: It is a power disc. This whole thing is about power. This whole um, Jody Wilson-Raybould versus the prime minister is all about power. We are talking about power relationships between corporations and government between Quebec and the rest of Canada almost, because that's another power relationship that really hasn't really been examined. Um, And I know that in the West, there are a lot of people who are like, wait a minute, you got into a scandal for these people and you can't even build a pipeline? I know that that's going on. Um, It's the power of his position is prime minister and he and anybody speaking on his behalf with his permission is extolling that power of the prime minister. Mm -hmm. They're standing in and they are distributing that power as though he would. So let's get that straight. Okay.
1: Yeah. So um, I think that we've seen a little bit of this conversation about how you know, this converse, this situation has a little bit of veiled misogyny in it. But like I mentioned earlier, we're not talking about the work aspect. So in addition to this power imbalance, there's also the fact that all the people I mentioned are white and Jodi Wilson-Raybould isn't. She's an indigenous woman. And that also, I think, creates a different kind of power imbalance in. Um, than we would probably normally talk about. Agreed. Agreed. I don't think
0: that I've seen... I've seen a lot, and I'm sure we'll get into this just a little bit later, but... I don't know... The commentary that I've seen has really talked about... And when I say commentary, I mean pundits on on national news television... Uh, These pundits, journalists, not journalists, sorry, pundits and opinion writers or whatever in Canadian media, on the Canadian media landscape have not talked about, there's just many things they haven't talked about. And one of them is power. And at the end of the day, this is not just an issue of ethics. This is exactly an issue of power and the And the power relationships, and that's why Elizabeth May was one of the best questioners on that committee because she's the one who brought up power relationships, and it took like two and a half hours to get there, you know, so I like we really need to before we start analyzing what's going on in terms of this we have to establish what the power relationships
1: are yeah and so this situation is not dissimilar to power imbalances we see in any sort of situation this is a major crux of the me too movement Um, whether or not it's been in hollywood whether or not it's been in the united states congress and whether or not it's been in like major corporations in canada and elsewhere um, or whether you're or not you're just, like, a bureaucrat in Ottawa at whatever level of government. You know, there are power imbalances that you face all the time as a woman, and that kind of connection hasn't been made, and we're seeing these power, Im- power imbalances that people like Erica and myself experience all the time play out at a national level.
0: I also think that you and I have the language and... Um, <clears throat> to you and I have the structure and the language to express exactly that, right? That we see these power imbalances and this is all about power because we've spent the last two, three years basically talking about power imbalances. One of the things I got out of this exchange, which I haven't seen commented on in Canadian media, is the power relationship between the liberals and companies in Quebec and how that supersedes any other region whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason that I haven't read about this is probably because most, um, publications don't want to even broach that subject. Um, we don't give a fuck. So, Hey, uh, (laughs) Hey, (laughs) um, but I, I really do that's what I Hashtag found. for
1: the people. <laughs>
0: oh my god. <laughs> I smell a podcast title. <laughs> <laughs> so um so yeah, uh and in hashtag form. Um but yeah, I think that I I I think that there's just been a lot that hasn't been talked about and this is one of the things. So there's a power relationship, and that's why the optics are so bad. Mm-hmm. Is because of the power relationship. Yes. So, for example, excuse me. Um, uh, eleven people. Okay. Eleven people decided that they were going to tell the Attorney General of Canada, or 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 suggest strongly whatever you you choose to mm-hmm. call it. I call it harassment and bullying, mm. but I know that, you know, others haven't gone that far, but whatever. Um, 11 men, uh, many of the situations that you just described, came to the Attorney General of Canada to get her to override a decision that had already been made by her subordinate i guess you could call it the director of public prosecutions it's not that she had to make a decision it's that what they were asking her to do was override a decision that had already been made thereby throwing her subordinate under the bus they asked her to be more loyal to their quebec riding Mm -hmm. than her own subordinate let's get that straight where what what how, where in that is leadership? I mean
1: leadership is her doing exactly, exactly what she did. Exactly what she did.
0: Okay. Um so think about this. Eleven white men save one, who I guess is the diversity quotient. Oh well, uh, also Katie. And Katie. Okay. So nine white men plus two. People who were behaving in a form that would further not only white supremacy, but patriarchy, okay? Because nine of them were white men. White men decided to harass and bully an Indigenous woman who is the sitting, who was at the time the sitting Attorney General of Canada. Let
1: that shit sink in. Yeah, it um, doesn't paint a nice picture. If uh, I were a political cartoonist, I would make that a political cartoon. Yeah, and so, you know, I think that the liberals are starting to see a bit of an issue in terms of uh, women in their re-election bid. So currently, Jody Wilson-Raybould has said she's going to run again in the 2019 election as a liberal sis
0: girl I, I what
1: you doing i what are you doing i feel like this
0: is epic trolling 101 like this to me is a one big troll i feel like, uh, <laughs> like
1: meanwhile trudeau is saying that he uh, has said that he is still considering whether or not she can remain in caucus for this he can
0: kick her out yeah he can oh yeah like he can but good luck with that Sure.
1: He can also decide to whether or not he's going to sign her nomination papers.
0: Well, good luck. Good luck. You know, stonewalling her in any way, shape, or form. She backed his ass into a corner. I stand.
1: Mm. And um, truly, we uh, are seeing. A, there was a little bit of foreshadowing leading up to this event, where um, you know, MP from Whitby, Ontario. Selena Cesar Chavanez had been vocally supporting Jody Wilson-Raybould and being like, oh, speak your truth, like all of these things, like be honest, I support you, I'm sorry I couldn't be there for you, like I love you, to all these things. And uh, Selena Ch- uh, Cesar Chavarez, uh, had announced uh, on Saturday that she would, no- would not be running in the upcoming election, um, which is an issue in and of itself. However, I do want to mention this one thing. Because you know I have thoughts. Yes. Um, but I want to get this in before because I want to get your reaction on this too. Um, the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, Katie Telford, uh, said tweeted that she spent time this morning rewatching video and rereading reading uh, profiles on uh, Selena, tweets and hashtags. And then said, Selena, you have taught me so much since you first answered the quote hashtag ask her to run call. Thank you for sharing and serving, hashtag Sunday motivation, hashtag See Her to Be Her, hashtag Add Women Change Politics, hashtag Here for Selena. Listen. Okay,
0: most of those hashtags make no sense. Listen, <laughs>
1: <laughs> listen. This is basically Katie Telford saying, "Oh, Selena, you are fucking incredible. You." were perfect for our 2015 election campaign. You were great, um, but um, you know, I know that you face a lot of hate online, a lot of criticism, and uh, we just didn't support you. And uh, you know what? Bye. But uh, yeah, Selena has been the the victim of a lot of, or the target of a lot of online hatred. Um, And I can see why she wouldn't want to run again in the 2019 election since the party was not there for her. And, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like they're going to they're there for the people, the women of color who might, you know, want to have a bit of a dissenting voice.
0: Well, it wasn't even a dissenting voice from the Liberal Party. Like, that's the thing. Like, what did she say that was anti-liberal? There was nothing. It's literally, she just... I mean, she didn't thank the Prime Minister explicitly. I noticed that. Mm. Yeah. Actually, there have been some little um, tidbits, if you've been paying attention, that uh, you can see mm. that... Um, you can see the fractures. Yeah. Yeah. There are definitely, they're definitely some fissures, I will say that. I... I personally now for I think it was Andre Demise who tweeted something like I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the tweet in front of me, but who basically said Well once you're gone there's like this is just this is just proof that there's no room for us in the Liberal Party. Mm
1: -hmm. Us being black Black people. people.
0: I, um, I can't disagree. Uh, I think the loss of MP Selena will do probably more damage than they think it will because she was the one voice that we could look to and, and see validation in what we experience every day. And we saw that validation in Parliament every day. In fact, she stood up and talked about it in Parliament. She talked about her braids. She talked about black women being sent home because of the way they wear their natural hair. She talked about all these issues, um, even ended up in O Magazine. And that is a huge loss for the Liberal Party. And, but it's also indicative of where they are, that they're, no, they're really not that much better than the status, they are the status quo. And maybe the status quo is into recognizing that black people exist, but not more. They're not interested in hearing us. They're not interested in hearing um, our issues or our, or you know, our, the things that we want to achieve, basically. And I think that, this is a, again, this is a huge loss. It's huge, huge, because there is a generation that basically was like, who got to, in you know, who got to enjoy her for four years. And thankfully, thank goodness for that. Thank goodness, like, she graced us, basically.
1: Yeah, so, you know, dealing with this power imbalance and these issues facing the liberals, kind of like at the last moment because it is an election year. Is there anything that they can do to kind of salvage themselves? Well,
0: as you, as you know, I've talked incessantly about their poor communications Mm. and when everybody was like, but their brand, their brand, their brand. Okay. Let's talk about this brand. So the Trudeau brand is basically the Obama brand light, you know trudeau came out as a feminist because obama did a few months earlier and you know when trudeau came out as a feminist if you've if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time you know that we were talking about this since the beginning of this podcast it was literally
1: like the reason we started the podcast yeah,
0: yeah. so i feel like we're i'm like i'm like look at us we were ahead of the game um But I think that uh, the brand of Justin Trudeau was fine for campaigning, governing, communications and governing are very, very, very different. And their communications was poor. They, some of the biggest issues of our time, they haven't communicated properly. Immigration is one, a huge one. Uh, I keep talking about the small business tax. Um, (laughs) I told this to Ben Chin, by the way, (laughs) Nice. who is another uh, person on the docket. Yeah, he was
1: the one that Erica excluded because he was Asian from harassing the AG. Exactly.
0: But he harassed her. He was the first, right? And so, uh, according to our testimony, at least, he was the first. Which is funny that the harassment first came from the Department of Finance. And then I'm like, but I used to work for the Department of Finance. And harassment was basically their way of doing things. It's their modus operandi. And they love to harass women, and especially women of color. This is a department that's known for not promoting women. Okay, so this is the department that... um, the Minister of Finance, Bill Morneau, overseas in a feminist government. Let's just put that out there. Okay, so um, the idea that uh, the... So the, in my opinion, like, that's why... Uh, that's where the harassment came from first. It's because they're used to it. Their communications is just really, really poor just really poor and the funny thing is is that the same week that this has popped off um there was uh, a report that child poverty rates had significantly dropped during the Mm -hmm. liberal um yep the liberal
1: reign so to speak because of the canada child benefit right
0: Where was my Instagram story on that? Mm -hmm. It was terrible. I saw a piece of the Instagram story. It was terrible. And I'm just like, what's this brand you all keep talking about? Because the communications underpinning the brand are poor. And I also have to say... That the Liberal Party has really gotten into this cult of personality that we talk about with the Republicans and Donald Trump, which was on full display this weekend because this weekend was CPAC. But we're not going to talk about CPAC because I don't want to delve into the -mm. to the to the Mm -mm. Uh, no, I I want to I would have to take a shower after that anyway. Um, the liberals really slipped into that cult of personality where Justin Trudeau became the liberal brand, and that's their own fault, because they're gonna rise and fall with him.
1: Yeah, it's true. Um, I mean, I don't really have much else to say on that. I think that's a whole different discussion. Um, but yeah, the optics—they've it's been mishandled. I think that. So, following Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony at the Justice Committee, Trudeau held a press conference where he said that he disagreed with her characterization of the, the events which i think has led to this perception issue but I, like i said at the intro you know he didn't dispute the timeline or the facts of the case um and i think that's really a big sticking point um <clears throat> that said the government and the liberals just aren't being transparent enough you know they ran on a platform of transparency and openness and as we've seen through access to information laws that's just become worse under their, their, um, their reign over the past four years. And, you know, they, they, the same thing happened with the India trip. The same thing happened with Bill Morneau and his scandal, his financial dealings in that they just hope that they'll, you know, the information they'll put it out in dribs and drabs and trickle it out and hope that people will just be like, Oh, that's good. We're good. We're just going to sweep this under the rug. But then in actuality, people just are like, Oh, that's a little fucked up. Um, I I need to know more about this. And then it'll be like another dump of information. You'll be like, Oh, well that's even more fucked up. Uh, Why didn't you just tell me this before? And I think that people would just appreciate having all of the information at the get go to be able to have an informed opinion and to make an informed decision about how they feel about this. And and ultimately, like, barring any sort of, like, ethics investigation and or public inquiry, I don't think that we're really going to have any answers. And such is kind of the problem with a majority government because they would have to call for the inquiry themselves.
0: Yeah, and judging from the, you know, the questioning... Of Jody Wilson Ray Bold from her own party. Um, I it looked like a bunch of backbenchers auditioning for cabinet, asking the same damn question over and over and over when she said it in her statement. Like, no you this woman, like, you're not gonna get her on gotcha. You're just no, not.
1: She's a prosecutor. Like she's well spoken. Yeah, like and, You picked her over them for a reason. Exactly.
0: And which brings me to another point, by the way. Trudeau has a tendency. I think that Trudeau stacked his uh 50% women with women who were beholden to him. Who would who would just fall in line. Look at Catherine McKenna. Look at Marion Monsaf. Look like I think the whole um what, what is her name again? Um, our Trade Minister, Global Affairs... Christian Freeland? Christian Freeland, I think, was a surprise to him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In terms of her abilities, I don't think that he expected that. And he definitely didn't expect Jodie Wilson-Raybould to flip the script. Because like most white men, he probably thought that she should be thankful just for him even considering her. Because... Remember that that press conference with Peter was uh, Peter Um, um, Trudeau was like. Oh, well, Jody should have come to me. First of all, I didn't I didn't appreciate him calling her Jody.
1: Yes, this is the exact same thing the conservatives did to him during the last election. Exactly. Okay, I did not appreciate that. It was just damn
0: disrespectful. And this whole well, Jody should have come to me. Fuck you. I mean, she also did. She did. And she looked you in the eye and she and you know what? You fucking demoted her for that. You demoted her for standing up to you. That's basically it. And to be honest, that is exactly misogyny. Now, I also want to point out that this probably happens in everyday corporations and organizations across Canada. And so 100% I have a problem with all these op-eds about morality. I really do. Because don't act like this. This isn't the way things are done in this
1: country. Uh Also this week, listen, it was a fucking busy week.
0: We didn't even get to our like our studies and our like. No. Yeah. And there
1: were some good ones this week. I know. Too many things. I know. All right. So last Wednesday was the day of committee testimonies as Michael Cohen, uh, former personal attorney to President Donald Trump, also testified in front of the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. In an effort to defend Trump from charges of racism, Representative Mark Meadows from North Carolina offered that Trump had never uttered a racist thing to him, a white man, and as evidence to the as evidence to the contrary, while aggressively questioning a man who had on his own accounts of bearing witness to Trump saying racist things. Um, But um, Mark Meadows, who in fairness, I will say I have heard that he is very nice, but that doesn't make him not racist. Um, It was, he also chose to um, invoke the long cliched black friend defense that drew the most attention. So instead of merely citing Trump's associations with black people, Meadows brought in an actual black person to the hearing. Lynn Patton, a former Trump organization employee, now working in the Department of Housing and Urban Development, which is being run by another black person, Ben Carson. Cool. (laughs) I have visions of get out. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Totally. Totally. So uh, Lynn Patton stood silently behind Mark Meadows while he made the preposterous assertion that simply employing a black person somehow absolves a white person, particularly a white man, from racist acts, as if American history wasn't built on many examples to the contrary. Thomas Jefferson mm. meadows antics prompted a quick response from Democratic representative Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts and Rashida Tlaib of Michigan both women of color and who we have talked about and referenced many times on this podcast um, representative Presley started it off by asking Cohen quote would you agree that someone could deny rental units to African-Americans lead the birther movement, refer to the diaspora as shithole countries, and refer to white supremacists as fine people, also have a black friend, and still be racist. Cohen replied, yes. Then Talib, picking up on what Presley was putting down, um, called out Mark Meadows, the North Carolina Republican, and Patton for the stunt during the hearing, saying, quote, Just because someone has a person of color, a black person working for them, does not mean they aren't racist. And it is insensitive. And some would even say that the fact that someone would actually use a prop, a black woman in this chamber, in this committee, is alone racist in itself. I know you are, but what am I? Right? Though Talib insisted that she was not calling Meadows himself a racist, he did not take her criticism well Emotionally insisting to the committee and the millions of people watching on TV that his nieces and nephews are quote people of color, and uh, he also claimed that he wa- it was racist to even suggest that he was using Patton as a prop. So basically, Mark Meadows had a meltdown, and he started interrupting Talib, as well as Committee Chairman Elijah Cummings, who is also black, to request that her statement be stricken from the record. In a sputtering defense and on the verge of tears, he went on to cite his relatives who are pe- also people of color and that his friendship with Elijah Cummings, yet again, launching proximity to black people as a defense against racism. He even called Tlaib racist for pointing out that his stunt was racist. And in one light, Meadows got his way, derailing the Cohen hearing so that his hurt feelings could be soothed by members of color.
0: He really did just turn on the white tears. He really like, I was just like, are you going to cry now? Because I feel like I. I, I. So now we must do. And I saw Elijah Cummings, by the way, doing that. I know I'm totally like hijacking this thing. Um, I saw Elijah Cummings doing the the emotional mm-hmm. labor. And mm-hmm. I was like, what are you doing that for?
1: yeah um the thing white people hate most is being called racist they don't even mind doing racist things or like pointing out things are you know actual racism they just hate being called racist. like erica can you shed some light on like how people can kind of square this in their minds as though like being a racist is worse than doing racist things i
0: don't understand that fuckery <laughs> right, but uh, you know what? If you don't want to be called racist, stop doing racist things. There's an idea.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. That's how you square that circle. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um. So, like, there are two things stick out to me. One is the whole like rigmarole that Meadows put everyone through on the committee, and the people watching and wasting everyone's time with this stunt. Um. But two. The fact that you know Meadows had an entire meltdown was rude. Um, didn't follow like um, procedure. Procedure, and you know, kind of talked over people, and uh, has the audacity. I am almost certain to have called women shrill or loud or irrational or emotional at some point or another. In a similar type of hearing.
0: Who does this remind you of, Erin?
1: I mean, it reminds me of a lot of people. I'm going to go with Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau, yes. Donald Trump.
0: And somebody who sits on the Supreme Court. Oh, Brett Kavanaugh. Yes. Mm. He had a Kavanaugh meltdown. Mm, Yeah. And I was just like... Which is a Trump meltdown, which is OK. The difference is be- toxic
1: masculinity. It's a to- yeah,
0: it really is. It really is. It's like it's the same thing where Justin Trudeau was like, why didn't Joey just talk to me? That was the same same idea. Same thing. Sorry, your fave is problematic. OK, like Trudeau. Like I thought he was going to have a meltdown. I was like. Seriously, seriously, and the same thing. And Trump always has that meltdown. You could see it on Twitter, mm-hmm. and y- we've seen we've seen it. Um, and Brett Kavanaugh meltdown, Lindsey Graham same meltdown. Oh my god, yes. Oh my gosh, like this is common with privileged white males who have been in positions of power long enough, like. This is what power does to them. Cuz they're entitled now. They feel like the entire world must cater to their feelings, their thoughts, their emotions. And that's exactly why Yes. Are you are you talking about a power imbalance? Is this about power, Aaron? Oh, huh. Wow, weird. Hmm. Where did I hear that before? Huh. Huh interesting curious okay there you go what i'm like i'm like what else is there to say now <laughs> like um so i mean by the way before iana presley started with that she took up from where Oka. so it was ocasio cortez iana iana Pre- presley and rashida talib boom 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 mm-hmm. one after the other and they were each picking up where the other left off, and it was brilliant. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Ah. Yeah, I was very, very impressed.
1: Yeah, and I think that, you know, part of that is them being able to speak to their experiences as women of color and also from you know, being members of the working class and not coming from privileged backgrounds. Yeah, from the Northeast too. hmm Yeah. And, you know, th- the reality is that I was just listening to a podcast before we started recording this about, you know, the median income or, like, wealth of people in the House of Representatives is $800,000. Wow. And then the Senate, it's 1200000 million. You're kidding. Before they reach there? Uh, it's not I think it's current so okay. like it's whatever mm-hmm. like so it's taking everything into account right right Um, and so I was like holy fuck like these are people are rich as fuck and like you can for someone like Bernie Sanders like the reality is he's rich as fuck yeah Um. so how much is he able to speak on behalf of the people like sure he's got progressive policies but that doesn't necessarily mean he's speaking on behalf of the people because he's been in congress for so long that he just hasn't been with like experienced that type of lifestyle in the longest time yeah how does he know what the average workplace looks like yeah
0: or what women especially entail Mm -hmm. he can't even deal with the sexual um harassment slash assault allegations on his own campaign on his own team so that's my problem with bernie is that it always stops as economics and it stops as, at the male point of view of everything. And that's it. That's that's all he does. That's all he can do. Right? And he what I find the problem with people being in politics that long or in their district that long or whatever, is also that things change. Mm-hmm. The average workplace changes. Um, It's the same thing. It's the same problem with people in government, right? Like we like are in this bubble and unless we have activities and stuff outside of that bubble, which we do, um, unless you travel, unless you you make an effort to be open, to be. um, That is is it means that you are missing out on perspectives now. I would hope that somebody would acknowledge that and try to surround themselves with people who have different perspectives than them. But as we've seen from the Jody Wilson-Raybould situation, um, you know what constitutes a "quote unquote" good fit has more to do with bending over for the boss than it does with any sort of integrity or perspective or having the space or agency to express those things.
1: Yeah, and I think it was really interesting. So the Huff Post had a story about um, Ocasio Cortez and the amount of work she put in and preparing for this hearing, um, and the reason she was able to spend that much time working on it, it was because she isn't spending. The bulk of her time calling donors. Yeah, she's not I saw calling that too, yeah. rich donors to ask them to give her money because she's just trusting that the people will do it, the activists will do it, and like she's putting it out on social media, which is where her base is, mm-hmm. and that frees up her time to actually do the work that she's there to do.
0: Oh, so you're talking about a different funding model, Erin? Huh. Is that what you're talking about Weird. for the for for you know the current system for I noted that that her funding model is different. She doesn't have to be because she has such she has built such a great social media reach. She can literally just fundraise off that. Like, think about that. Think about that in terms of freedom to say what you want to say, to do what you want to do, to make it easier for you to express that integrity.
1: Absolutely. Um so I want to get back kind of like the the race aspect of uh what Mark Meadows is saying. So so getting back to like the racial aspect of this, you know, I it's it's not clear to me why we're still trying to have this debate about whether or not Donald Trump is actually a racist because like it seems pretty obvious to me.
0: Well, white people have made the environment so that <coughs> Excuse me. Calling them a racist is actually worse than the racism itself.
1: Yeah. So we've come full circle.
0: Oh, yeah. (coughs) So calling someone white a racist is apparently means that you have to come with all this all this evidence and like data and, um, you know, historical uh not even history like you basically have to come with all these receipts and so on and so forth and you're like no what you did was racist and what like, you said was racist so what else can i conclude yeah
1: and like don't get you me hang wrong. out
0: with racists what else can i conclude And don't get
1: me wrong like normal people who you know may not actually be racist but they may say racist things or hold, uphold a racist belief. And like, I think that's where it probably gets fuzzier. But like, I think we can hold two different truths in that, like, there are racist things that people do who may not know that that thing is racist, but may not actually be racist. But then there's also people who do racist shit and say racist shit and actually are racist.
0: Well, my problem is when people of color, like, white people bully them into believing and gaslight them. Because it really is gaslighting into believing that they did something wrong. That's my problem. Mm. Like, Elijah Cummings should never have, you know, been like, oh, well. Like, Mark Meadows is like, oh, well, Elijah, you're my friend. You know me. Now vouch for me. And, uh, oh, and by the way, I vouched for you. That's basically what happened elijah cummings was like oh well yeah mark true like i do yeah we are elijah you're my friend yes we are friends and i'm just like what the fuck is this i was literally like i was so disappointed in him because i was like what the fuck is this shit Mm -hmm. like first of all i don't know about y'all broiness, and i don't give a shit that's not the issue what he did was racist. it was racist Absolutely. like to to use a black woman as a prop f- to say that somebody isn't racist is exactly racist it is that's racist as fuck, and just like tokenism is racist, just like window dressing is racist, all of that is racist. And if people of color would stop allowing white people to define what racism is or the parameters of racism, we'd be a lot further ahead. So stop it. Stop letting white people determine for you, you who knows better, who does better, who tries to do better. Never let them tell you what the fuck racism is. I i'm sorry can a man tell me when my next period is no get the fuck out then then don't talk to me about women's issues think of all the mansplainers don't let people white splain racism to you that's what i
1: mean all right stay tuned for a rant and (laughs) receipts And now we're moving on to rant and receipts where we each bring a rant to share with the other. Yay. All right. You going? I am.
0: Okay. So the Academy Awards was last Sunday when we were well recording last week's. Yeah. So one would say that this was a very, very diverse Academy Awards. Rami Malek won for best actor. Um <clears throat>
1: Regina King. Regina
0: King. Yes. Best Supporting Actress. Or wait a minute. Was she Best Actress or Supporting? Supporting. Supporting.
1: Um, um, um. We had uh, Costume Design costume for Black design. Panther. Costume Design, yeah. Uh, we had uh, Alfonso Corian for Roma as Best Adapted Screenplay. Yep. Or original screenplay. Original. original. And Spike Lee won
0: for best adapted screenplay. Yeah. Uh
1: Quaron also run for Best Director.
0: Right. And here's where we bring in Steven Spielberg. Yes. <sighs> so Steven Spielberg, as you guys know, um, all those Indiana Jones flicks and A.T. and what has he done lately? Any uh, movie
1: you liked when you were growing up.
0: Right, basically. Basically, Um, Amistad was his black one, which is a slave ship movie, which I didn't see because I don't do. Listen, there are two movie, two types of movies I won't watch: slave movies and racial reconciliation movies. Which brings me to the heart of my fucking rant that (laughs) I'm about to go on. Okay, so Steven Spielberg has decided that he knows what a movie is. Okay, fine. Let's let's put it this way. Roma came really close to becoming to grabbing the best picture Oscar that Green Book ultimately won. So how close did it get? Well, to judge by the precursors, the Golden Globes, the DGA, the BAFTAs, the BAFTAs are the British kind of like Academy Awards and the Critics' Choice, the film looked like the one to beat picked by all but nine of the 37 awards experts at Gold Derby. Obviously, a substantial number of the 8,000 Oscar voters accorded the Mexican black and white film three historic wins out of 10 nominations for, as Aaron said, Best Director, Cinematography, and Best Foreign Language Film. So... You know, why didn't it win? Well, enter Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. who has decided that because Roma was released on Netflix, it's not really a film and should be relegated to the Emmys and not the Oscars, even though it's an actual film. Yep. Like it's a film.
1: It, but it also came out in theaters before it went on to Netflix. Well, there you go. So it's like an actual
0: theatrical release, but not good enough for Steven Spielberg, who has decided that he's going to make sure that he blocks Netflix for um, the foreseeable future from receiving any of the Academy Award prizes. Well, eat a dick. What a fucking prick. Okay. Now let's let me just examine why this is prickish. Number 1, it is just yet another old white guy. I know he's Jewish, but in in my in this world to be honest, he might as well be white because he's acting like one of them. So any anyway, he has he he think he's decided that the movie industry as is needs protecting from the onslaught of Netflix, even though the distribution of Netflix is way more diverse in terms of the of the of the countries it hits. Now, if you go onto Netflix, you will see that you get a variety of movies and TV shows from all over the world. What Steven Spielberg actually misses is that Netflix has been great for creators of color, for foreign creators, and for independent creators that don't have a movie studio deal. But because Steven Spielberg has been riding high on the hog for like the last 30 years, he doesn't give a fuck about that. No, screw everybody else. It's all about what Steven Spielberg wants and the way he sees it. And I'm just saying that. In addition to, um, in addition to this, uh, that's one of the reasons why the, in my opinion, the Academy Awards is nothing but a footnote, because. Steven Spielberg has also decided that the Green Book deserved the Best Picture Award. Now, let's delve into that a little bit. The Green Book. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, I never watched the Green Book. Mm -mm. Because, I, you know, I recognize racial reconciliation movies. And, like, I just have... Just a a a, an, a reaction to them, and usually it's to close my screen. In talking about Steven Spielberg, in talking about Green Book, let's talk about racial reconciliation movies. And racial reconciliation movies are basically movies that are usually set in the fifties and sixties and um, have some tale that's out of the ordinary from what you may have from what you may expect. So it's a white person who who starts off racist, but then through only their contact and their and their friendship with a black person can they transcend their racism. And then everything's fine. And then they do something really great at the end. And then we're like, oh oh I don't see color okay (laughs) well first of all they're all conceived by white men and i don't care how left you are don't you can't conceive an actual racial movie properly because we've seen everything from crash from paul haggis because you know a canadian needs to get into that too because this racial reconciliation bullshit is very within the canadian sort of mantra okay we're so tolerant we're so good and it's basically white people patting themselves on the back and as a way to um get rid of their sense of guilt for their own profiting off of racist structures throughout history that have given them an advantage over everybody else and we have to see that played out in true Hollywood time. Yay! Anyway, Green Book is based on a true story, and I do emphasize based. Focuses on a working class Italian-American man, played by Viggo Mortensen, who was actually nominated for Best Actor for this shit, who gets a job as a chauffeur and bodyguard for a gay African-American pianist Mahershala Ali, who won the best, who, who won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, which does make him a two-time actor off um, Oscar winner. But I digress. So they drive. So Mahershala Ali plays this this um, a, a, a musician who has to drive through this out because he has um, a tour there. And as they drive through the South in 1962, these two um, form an odd couple when they begin to realize they have common ground. Ah, how wonderful. This, the whole story is about love. Peter Farrelly, the film's director and one of its writers said in his big picture acceptance speech, it's about loving each other despite our differences and finding the truth about who we are we're the same people Bleh. no okay hollywood in general has a love of racial reconciliation movies where the black person is not centered it's all centered around the white person their feelings their fears this this movie is basically driving miss daisy in reverse and so um 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 as we go on, I this this movie also hits on certain sort of pretenses that really don't hold. And one of them is really that somehow you can be talked out of race of your own racism as long as as you have a black friend. And it just goes to the whole pretty much theme of tokenism, of removing agency from these actors. So for example, through these types of movies, um, racialized actors do not have their own story. Their story is definitely in support of white people and their emotions and their journeys and their their realizations and there's a lot of thought and care in developing their character whereas we are just a prop in these movies for white people to realize they were wrong about something as fundamental as their own racism and that's my rant.
1: So um. I haven't seen the movie either. And I refuse. I'm not going to. I also like it just doesn't seem interesting to me. Like it looks beautiful, but like that's neither here nor there. Um. So two things about this. One, having listened to a few podcasts that have talked about this, it's my understanding that in one of the like opening scenes in the character development of Viggo Mortensen's character, Um, they show him waking up because he works late evenings and wakes up in the morning and his wife is at home um, and she they have some contractors over doing some renovations to their house and all the contractors and um, construction people are black and so she's offering them glasses of water because it's hot and it's in the south and whatever and they're drinking from these this water and He's so racist that he's using the N-word. And then when his wife leaves the room, he takes one of the glasses that one of the black men used and throws it in the garbage as though he can't possibly fathom drinking out of the same vessel that a black person uh, drank out of. And then we're supposed to believe that over the course of like a couple hours slash whatever timeline the movie is in, that he's cured of his racism. And oh, he finally believes that Black people are people too. Oh, congratulations! Congratulations for doing the literal bare minimum. Like, why should we be rewarding that?
0: Agreed. And have you noticed that they also, these, what these movies have in common is that they center white women Mm -hmm. as though they are innocuous bystanders, and they're not like we know from historical references we know from history that white women were huge proponents of segregation and and the racist policies that their male counterparts proposed they're the ones who spread it through the community and took it from the political to the personal so i find that this is just inaccurate but that's that's what it that's that's what it is like white the way white women are are somehow victims of uh, a racist system that they can't control is gross and it's highly inaccurate and I'm tired of seeing it.
1: Yeah. So the second thing is, is that in listening to these podcasts, you know, someone made I forget which podcast it was. Someone made a really good point that Hollywood likes rewarding movies that talk about racism from a certain perspective that basically absolve white people, or basically imply that white people can be cured of their racism. And they just need some understanding. They and just love. Ne- yes, they need a little bit of nurturing. They need the the people of color to do the emotional labor for them to teach them that they are people. And those are the ones that they continue rewarding. You know, sure, Moonlight was an outlier but you know it's very very rarely are we seeing um movies win these awards that or the most prestigious awards yep. that are by black people about black people from a real black experience that don't just paint white people as as the enemy throughout the whole film uh all right so my rant and receipts this week well it uh, is actually a clip from a Fox News segment on Fox and Friends. Um, hosts on Fox and Friends are saying that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez deigning to pay her interns and congressional staff a living wage is basically communism. Um, and so a couple of things. One, paying someone $15 an hour isn't communism. Two, um, a lot of internships are only for three or four months. So they're not being paid $52,000 each per year. Um, You'll probably get three or four different interns per year on that $52,000. Three, did it ever occur to people that $154,000 for a chief of staff position is too much? Because a chief of staff position is in the Canadian federal government, in the bureaucracy uh, is about $110,000 to $130,000 Canadian. Um, I don't know what number I'm at. Um, Next. Um, So people who, she is actually hiring fewer people. So an office that is running, a chief of staff position on fifty-four thousand dollars, hundred thousand dollars a year, and several unpaid internships. Um, they are running a less efficient, less effective organization because they're just creating work that doesn't need to be done, or they're not, you know, divvying up the labor in in an effective manner. That they need to hire all these additional people and not pay them. Um, whereas someone like AOC is hiring fewer people, um, you know, distributing that pay a little bit differently. Um, but also like being mindful that, you know, the people who she's attracting to work in her office don't necessarily believe that people should, interns should be unpaid anyway. So she's working. She's attracting up people who believe the same things as her and are okay at taking that financial hit. Also, d c is a very expensive city, and for a congressional intern to go there to and not get paid is shocking. Like market rent is you know, fifteen hundred dollars can get you like a roommate. Uh, it's expensive. Rent is expensive. The cost of living is expensive. You can get a cheap Uber. You can Uber anywhere for $10, but uh, that also makes the assumption that you can afford the Uber and not just taking the metro or walking everywhere um, or subletting someone's place or sleeping on someone's couch. Um, it is very expensive, and I just also listened to another podcast who was... You're the podcast I know. queen. And the host was saying that when she was a congressional intern for three months, she was unpaid and she had saved up an entire year, a year's worth of wages from three or four different jobs to live in D.C. for three months on no salary while sleeping on someone's couch, making her lunch every day and um, like biking or taking the metro to work and working insane hours and, you know, I've been on the Metro in D.C. coming after, like, a concert at, like, 11 o'clock. And these interns are, like, on the Metro home because they just finished work. And so, you know, ultimately, they're probably not getting paid $15 an hour if they're working such extreme hours. But, like, I think that, like, it seems pretty pretty humane. I don't know. I don't know. It's... it's is that what it means to be to like think that people deserve a living wage is like social is it socialism to have like a heart and a conscience and empathy for people if it is sign me up so
0: um okay so first of all as i like people really need to rethink their definite like people really need to read a book about what socialism and communism really are, because this ain't it. This ain't it. And it's not even close. Um, Secondly, $15 an hour is not that much. It's not that much in a city like D.C.
1: I mean, it's basically... If you're thinking about Canada, it's basically about, like, similar to living in Vancouver or Toronto. Right.
0: Okay. And we know what rents look like there.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: So, making $15 an hour in Vancouver and Toronto in this day and age, ba- basically, it allows you, like you said, to have a roommate.
1: Yeah. So, the BC government is in the midst of um, reevaluating what affordable... Is in terms of housing in Vancouver, and they've determined that like two thousand and like thirty six dollars is quote unquote affordable for housing, uh, and then a month. Th- yes, and when you think about it, what in rent? Yes, for and one you, bedroom. Uh, I don't know, maybe, but regardless. The what? the salary in, you need to afford $2,000 a month is $80,000.
0: That's right. So are they paying like Tim Horton's workers $80,000? Because I can tell you that they're not. Mm. Look, income inequality is really, really bad for politics and business. It up It upends societies. And so even if you're not, if you don't believe the economic argument and there have been, by the way, Um, I got a shout out to, uh, some economists who are doing some really, really good social justice work in their economics. Um, apparently there was a study done recently in Seattle or Portland. I can't remember which one, but, um, as, uh, one of them or probably both, uh, raised their wages to raise the minimum wage to $15 and um, through the 15 and Fairness activism. And so it has been shown that uh, the job losses that were predicted did not happen. So I I encourage people to read um, actual people doing this kind of work and not just not just uh, put your own sort of political ideology on the actual evidence. um, But Fox and Friends are just more ridiculous every time they try to do this gotcha so-called journalism with Ocasio-Cortez because she always one-ups them. And all they do is they give her a platform to spread her ideas. And I'm just loving it because it's totally the reverse of what happened in the twenty sixteen election. And I would say that speaking of which, Michael Cohn did get did a great job in, in 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 giving us an insight into how that worked, I must say.
1: Yeah, and I I agree with that. I think that people need to educate themselves about what socialism and communism are because one, they're not the same thing. And two, like a living wage is just common sense. I don't like if we think about communism as a redistribution of wealth. Okay. So therefore we're taking from the rich and giving to the poor. But if in her office, the rich, no one is ever at at any time making $154,000, then you're not taking from the rich. You're just like, creating a situation where it's a much more equitable and that's the thing is that like we talk about you know equality all the time but like we always as like a society fail to discuss equity or we do a very poor job of talking about equity we talk about equality but not equity and we do that a lot so much when we talk about gender all the time you know Equity is really the issue
0: more than equality is a state we want to get to. Equity recognizes that not everybody starts from the same place to get there.
1: Yeah. And so there's a really good image on the Internet that reminds me of this. And it's, you know, a a parent and like a teenager and like a three-year-old watching a soccer game or some sport. And there's like a like a a fence and you know, the dad can see over top or the parent can see over top. The teenager has can maybe kind of see if they stand on their tiptoes and the little child can't. And so equality would be giving the same opportunity to everyone in which you would give every of the, every one of those three people a box to stand on. And you're just kind of exacerbating the issue. But now like the middle person can see a little bit better without standing on their tiptoes. And, you know, the tall person can absolutely see and, like, it's kind of egregious. And the smaller person, the kid, the child, still can't see. And even if they stood on their tiptoes, they wouldn't. Meanwhile, equity would try- be trying to give everyone the same vantage point. So, you know, the adult doesn't need a box. so They don't get one. The teenager maybe gets one box. And the child gets two or three, depending on how tiny they are.
0: Well, white people are the adults. Okay. And not necessarily in ways that you know we're used to thinking of adults, but white people are the ones who are like, "Why don't we get a box?" Mm-hmm. It's because you can all you can already
1: see over the fence, yeah.
0: But we need a box. It's racist if you don't give us a box. Yeah, that's white people.
1: Yeah, and I think it's it's a good reminder that you know we we're starting from a situation in which white people or the majority population, which can mean a variety of different things, any sort of people who have privilege um, are starting from a, a more privileged position and therefore need fewer, you know, equitable things that would, fewer like assistances that would make it more equitable. And like those of us who have that privilege to to expend we can just g- give it over and I don't see why me giving up some of my advantages makes me less of a human
0: it's because we have this zero-sum way of our mentality is very zero-sum if you get something then I get less and it's not necessarily like that
1: so hold on are you saying that we need to marry condo our privilege Ooh, yes because like sure my privilege gives me joy but like does all of it give me joy do I need so much of it like we live in a consumerist society like do I need so many things to bring happiness to my life no I don't need you know to spend money on hundreds of dollars on shoes or clothes or whatever
0: we don't recognize the diminishing returns on consumption hmm. that's pretty much it that's all i could think about is diminishing returns mm-hmm. we are talking about that yeah and you know giving means less for us so we have this way of it's it's really it's it's a really gross way of thinking if you really think about it because you know we are and and this isn't all our fault i think it's very much our society and the way it's 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 presented to us it's that the whole republican party is based on if you if you give something to this person that means you get less and i'm like why does it have to be that way it's not necessarily that
1: but also like why do i need that much more like why do i need all those things that could be going to waste right like because you're lonely. Why can't I just take the like the, the amount that I need and be done with it? Because we're lonely. Yeah.
0: We don't we don't really have communities, so we have stuff mm-hmm. around us to make us feel like we've gotten somewhere, you know. So status symbol too.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Hmm. That's what I I think. I I think that's exactly Guys, it. Guys,
1: find happiness in
0: things other than objects. Can we talk about, like, can you just have some joy in your life? Like, just a, some a piece of joy in your life. Just look for that.
1: Yeah, that's what I... I so, so when I teach spin, I said, like, obviously you come here for a reason and you're finding... And, like, this brings you something. Whether or not that, like, is... Like, it obviously will give you an endorphin rush, but, like, it's bringing you a level... Like, those endorphins kind of symbolic of joy like you get a high from it and like i get joy from teaching and being in that space and so like i teach a lot because i love it and it like gives me joy and i like being able to give that to other people
0: i never thought of endorphins as
1: joy yeah i could totally see that yeah that makes sense do more of what makes you happy regardless of what that is yeah yeah and
0: what makes you happy, not what fills you in lieu of emptiness.
1: Very good nuance. Mm-hmm. All okay. right. So uh, that does it. So get social with us on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy, on Instagram at Bad and Bitchy Pod, Facebook slash Bad and B Podcast, and email us badandbpod at gmail.com. Bye.
0: Hey. <laughs>